Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our very good friends at Alumni Hall. I'm your host, Tyler, and I've got another edition of our Scouting the Enemy series for you guys today. It's a big one today as I preview the Florida Gators. I know not much is expected of the Gators this year, but I also know as our biggest and most hated rival, at least I would say according to the majority of Georgia fans out there. I know there's isolated pockets that hate other schools more, but I think your average Georgia fan would call Florida our biggest and most hated rival. So given that status... This is a team that is always on the radar of the Georgia fan base, and this is an episode every summer leading into the season right about now that always gets your attention. So I'll have that for you guys shortly, but before we get to the Florida preview, while we are on the subject of the Florida Gators, I do want to touch on the news that hit this week that both Georgia and Florida are now able to provide tickets for prospective prospects to the cocktail party beginning this season, as in a couple of months from now. And expectedly, when this news hit, a number of fans in the Georgia fan base started jumping up and down, pointing and saying, CC, like we've solved the recruiting problem. Now we can keep the game in Jacksonville. I don't know if I'm ready to go there. And look, I understand and I very much respect the passion of all the fans in this fan base who want to maintain the status quo and keep this game in Jacksonville. I get it and I respect it. As I've said several times before when talking about this subject, the question of where to play the Georgia-Florida game, it's a very complex question, and there are a ton of selfish competing interests, and they all have merit. And when I say selfish, I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm not trying to take a shot at anyone. Everyone's position on this, including mine, is selfish. The people who want to keep this game in Jacksonville because they love vacation weekend, that's a selfish viewpoint, but that's fine. They're allowed to be selfish. People who live in the Golden Isles and like to have a short trip to a game for once in a season, that's a selfish viewpoint, but that's okay. They're allowed to be selfish. Dog fans who live in Jacksonville who want money to pour into their city, that's a selfish viewpoint. But hey, they're allowed to have that viewpoint. People like me who don't really like going to Jacksonville because downtown Jacksonville is a cesspool of nothingness, that's a selfish viewpoint, and I own that. 
none of those positions have any more merit than the others. They all have value and they should all be respected. But if the issue for Kirby really is recruiting, and that's what he says, we got to take the guy at face value at what he says, this does nothing to change that. It really doesn't. I know people got excited about it, at least some people did, and on the surface I see why, but if you really look at it, this does absolutely nothing to change that because the purpose of hosting kids on your campus is to show off what your school has to offer. Having a kid in Jacksonville is not going to replace that. What you're trying to do on an official visit, even an unofficial visit to your campus, but especially official visits, you're trying to show off your campus, your facilities, the student life, the dorms, the college town, professors, academic support, all of those things that your school, that your university, that your program has to offer. Having recruits come to a game in Jacksonville, as festive as that atmosphere may be, and yes, I readily admit, it's a great atmosphere inside the stadium, but having them come to a game like that does nothing to accomplish any of the things that a true official visit or an unofficial visit are really designed to do. And with this latest news about now being able to provide tickets for those prospective prospects, well, it's not even really a visit of any kind. It's, yeah, they get to come to a game. It's the same thing as it was in Charlotte last year when we played Clemson. The coaches cannot interact with them. That still hasn't been changed. Coaches cannot interact with those players, those prospects. They can give them tickets. Their families can watch the games, but they're still not hosting them. It's still nothing like an official visit or even an unofficial visit. And I know the next line of thinking, the next logical extension of this is people are going to say, well, why don't we just change the rules and say we can host official visits in Jacksonville. Why don't we just go ahead and do that? Because that solves the recruiting problem, right? Well, no, I, I really don't think that it does personally. Because again, even if you are allowed to host prospects on a quote-unquote official visit while in Jacksonville and the, and the coaches can actually really host them and interact with them and meet with them and talk with them, all those kind of things, is that really where you want to waste your official visit? Because what are you showing them? You're showing them downtown Jacksonville. You're showing them a hotel lobby, you're showing them a hotel conference room, you're not showing them all the new facilities that you've invested millions upon millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in, you're not showing off those. You're not getting your return on investment with those facilities and those investments. You're not showing off downtown Athens. You're not showing off the nightlife. You're not showing off the campus. You're not showing off the academic support. You're not showing off the dorms. You're not showing off what life is like for a student athlete at the University of Georgia. Even if we were allowed to host official visits in Jacksonville, in no way, shape, or form would I want to do that. I think that is a counterproductive idea. And there's also this. This is how my mind's working. If we are allowed, if both teams are allowed to host official visits when it's their their term to host the game. So this year we're the home team, right? Well, that's really difficult for us because you know it's it's a much longer trip for us. Florida could reasonably, very feasibly, host players on campus on Friday, right? So they host them on Friday, early Saturday, and they can bust them in there with the team and they go to the game, whatnot, bust them back. They still have early Sunday and they get a little bit of a taste for what the facilities are in Gainesville, what life is like for a college athlete in, in Gainesville, Florida, and also get to come to that game. We don't have the luxury of doing that. So it put us at a, at a disadvantage when it comes to this game in terms of recruiting when Florida would potentially be able to just bust them over. We can't do that. We have to fly our guys in. So bottom line is I just don't think the idea of hosting official visits in Jacksonville is realistic whatsoever. And you might not think that the recruiting argument that Kirby has made 
about potentially moving this game out of Jacksonville is strong enough to warrant a move. You might not think it is. I know a lot of people take that position, and I respect it to a degree, but the thing is, our head coach does. Kirby does. He does think that's a strong enough argument. And the latest news of being able to offer tickets to these prospects, that simply doesn't move the needle when it comes to solving that recruiting issue. And Kirby's the guy that we are now all in on, right? 10-year deal over $10 million a year, $110 million. So we're willing to say we trust you enough to give you this kind of money, but but you're an idiot and just clueless and don't know what you're talking about when you claim that playing this game in Jacksonville puts this program at a recruiting disadvantage. Again, I respect everybody's position and everybody's interest. I know there's a lot of competing interests when it comes to this question, but I just don't understand the line of thinking when people out of one side of their mouth call Kirby a recruiting genius and we put our trust in this guy 100%, but then on the other side of the mouth, we're saying, you don't know what you're talking about. I just have a hard time reconciling that, I guess. But those are just some quick thoughts on the Jacksonville debate. I know that's a debate that's going to continue to rage over the next year or so. And I am almost certain this is not the last time that we will talk about it on this podcast. We'll come back to it many, many times. It's more of an off-season kind of thing. But before we get deep and dirty into this college football season, I at least want to touch on that one more time because I know that is very much a hot-button issue in the Georgia fan base. But all right, let's go ahead and move into our breakdown of the Florida Gators. And just like I have over the past couple episodes of this series, I've got a number of burning questions to guide me through this breakdown. And I'm going to start here. Very simple question. What kind of shape is the Florida roster in? Obviously, we know there's been a transition with the coaching staff. Dan Mullen is out. Billy Napier is in. And the Florida fans, they're an interesting bunch. If you've ever interacted with them, you know what I'm talking about here. This is a group of fans that, by and large, like to think of themselves as a top 10 program nationally. And at times, they have been. At times, they haven't been. Right now, they are not that. I know they had a good year in 2020. That's a COVID year, but they were still a really good team. But that was certainly the uh, the high watermark. And look, Dan Mullen has some success, right? Three New Year's Bowls in four seasons. Good job, man. All right. That's by most measures, that's a pretty successful tenure. But he also had, as we all know, this kind of insane, weird, just cringy, clownish personality, both on and off the field. And that played a big part in his ultimate downfall. But he wasn't a complete disaster the entire time at Florida. We know it went off the rails last year, and obviously he's gone, and now Billy Napier is in. But this fan base does like to see themselves as a top 10 program. And if you look at this roster, they're just simply not that. They are not that right now. This roster is a far cry from even what it was two short years ago in 2020 when they played Alabama in the SEC championship game. Of course, when there's a coaching transition, there's going to be a fair amount of attrition, and Florida's been no exception. They've seen some guys leave through the portal, some guys that left early that probably shouldn't have left early, and there's been quite a bit of turnover on this roster. That happens with almost every single coaching change. But if you look deeply at this roster, you're kind of like, man, who are um, who are the best players? Like, really, who are the best players that you can lean on to win games this year, to actually beat good teams, to even beat average teams this year? I mean, you look at this roster, you say, okay, your best offensive lineman's probably a transfer from Louisiana, coming over with Billy Napier, Cyrus O'Torrance. Your best running back is probably a transfer from Louisiana. Maybe it's Nyquan Wright, who's been at Florida for a couple years. He's a junior now. But Montreal Johnson, the transfer from Louisiana, also coming over with Billy Napier. He was more productive than Wright was last year. Granted, he got more opportunities. But I think right now, I'd probably lean towards him as their best back. And that's another transfer coming over from a group of five program. 
And then your best receiver was projected to be a guy that transferred in from Arizona State who was 15th in the Pac-12 last year. But emphasis on the word was because Ricky Persall went down with an injury earlier this week. And they haven't officially announced what it is, but the fear is that it's a broken foot. I know it's a lower extremity issue, and the fear in Gainesville is that it is a broken foot, which might not keep him out for the entire year, but that will severely hamper him for a large portion of the year. And that guy's supposed to be your number one receiver? Guy was 15th in the Pac-12 last year in receiving. And he's supposed to be your number one guy? Dude didn't even average 50 yards receiving a game last year. And then if you look at the preseason All-SEC list as voted by the media, and look, I know they don't always get it right. Of course, they always miss some guys here and there. But they don't miss that many guys. If you look at the breakdown of, the, of those All-SEC lists, just the first and second team, let me give you some numbers here. Alabama had 14 players on the preseason All-SEC list as voted on by the media. So out of the top 44 players chosen by the media in the SEC coming to the season, 18 of them were from Alabama. Eight of them are on the Georgia roster. Where's Florida? They're down there with two. They've got two. They've got one guy on the All-SEC first team list, and that is, again, Cyrus O'Torrance, the transfer from Louisiana. So they're saying their best player on the Florida roster is a transfer from a group of five program. And he is a good player. Don't get me wrong. I haven't seen him play a ton. I saw a couple of Louisiana games last year. He's a good player. But what does that say about your roster when this guy transfers in from a group of five program and instantly he is viewed as the best player on the entire team? This is why Dan Mullen got fired, guys. I was saying it for years. All these Florida fans, all these national talking heads who for whatever reason, just didn't believe in Kirby Smart and just saw him as a product of recruiting and just having better players, but it didn't know how to coach. All those guys, you heard the you hold, you heard the refrains over and over again. We talked about it on this show many a time. But for years, I kept saying, I mean, yeah, Dan Mullen's a good offensive coach, but he's a clown. He doesn't know how to run a program. He does not know how to relate to his players, to his coaching staff, to the recruiting staff. He doesn't know how to build an organization. In short, he was not a leader. He was a joke of a recruiter and Florida was falling behind. I kept telling you guys that and this is what I was talking about. This is what Dan Mullen has left the Florida program with. I know Florida fans do not like to face reality and most fan bases don't. I don't want to just single out Florida. I'm all, it's kind of fun to do that, but they don't want to face reality and I understand why. The reality isn't pretty right now for them because they are nowhere near a top 10 program in the country right now. They That doesn't mean they can't become that again in the future, but right now, they are nowhere near that. This is a program with a roster right now, as it is currently constructed, that is far closer to South Carolina than they are to the top teams in the conference, to the Georgias, to the Alabamas, even to the Texas A&Ms. I'll go back to the all-SEC preseason list, right? Bama had 14 players on the first and second team. We had eight. Like I told you, Florida had two. You know who else had two? South Carolina. So when I say that Florida, right now, their roster is closer to South Carolina than it is Georgia and Alabama, that's case in point. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And Florida fans don't want to face that. And I get it. It's hard. Reality is hard to face sometimes. But make no mistake about it. That is the reality for the Florida Gator football program right now in 2022. And we've got a lot more to break down when it comes to Florida Gators in 2022. But before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment to remind you guys about our very good friends at Alumni Hall. They have by far, unquestionably, the best and largest selection of Georgia apparel, accessories, and gifts. If you've been in the store, 
you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can attest to this. You you know. If you haven't, just look online. Look at look at everything they've got. All, everything in the entire store is online, and you'll see pretty quickly. You're scrolling through all these things. Like, man, I haven't seen this anywhere else, and that's true. They have a ton of stuff that you simply cannot find anywhere else, especially the Georgia Vault stuff, the throwback logos, which I've told you guys before. I'm huge on, and I, I look for them everywhere I go, and I just can't consistently find them anywhere else, but they've got an alumni hall. Every time I go in there, they've got new stuff, and I love it. they got apparel for the entire family. It's not just you. I mean, you got to get your game day gear, right? Like, time's running out. you got to get it now, but you got to get some stuff for your kids. Get the jersey for your kids. Obviously, you can never forget about your wife, the girl in your life. You can't forget about them, right? They want to look at the tailgate too, so get yourself some bonus points. Pick her up something nice. Alumni Hall has by far the best selection of women's clothes. I mean, honestly, I think their women's selection sometimes outshines the men's selection. I know I, I've gotten some brownie points many a time going to Alumni Hall and coming home with some gear for my wife. So do yourself a favor. Do your wife a favor. Pick her up some gear as well. And don't forget... For every $150 you spend, you get $10 back in rewards cash with their Hall Pass Rewards Program. There is no other Georgia retailer anywhere out there that does anything like that. So go ahead, online, in stores, get outfitted today. We only got a couple of weeks before the season starts. You don't want to waste time. You don't want your size to get out of stock as things. This is when everybody wants to get their gear, right? So you got to make sure you get your stuff before it's gone. And when you do, make sure to use the promo code GLORYUGA, no spaces. Again, that's GLORYUGA, no spaces, for 15% off your entire purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So obviously, Billy Napier has to resolve the recruiting issues, and I think that he will eventually. I know he got off to a rough start. The Florida fan base was really getting after him. You know, within the past couple of months, the early part of the summer, he's kind of hit a little bit of a hot streak the past couple of weeks. They're right there in the fringe, borderline top 10. There's still a long way to go. We'll see where they ultimately end up, but he's gotten it under control a little bit, but they're still kind of recruiting about where they were under Dan Mullen over the past four cycles. They recruit on average number 11 in the country, which isn't terrible. You would say, well, that's not bad. It's like essentially top 10, but that's not good enough when that, you know, number 11 is, you know, fourth or fifth in the SEC. That's not good enough. Recruiting at a top 10 level does not win national titles. Recruiting at a top three level consistently is what wins national titles. That's been proven out year over year. Florida has not sniffed that in a while. So Napier's obviously got to fix that, and I think he will. He is a guy that's worked under Saban. He's worked with Kirby Smart. He's a different kind of personality, but I do think that he will recruit better than Dan Mullen. At the very least, he understands how to build a recruiting infrastructure the way that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart have, and he's also not a narcissistic clown like Dan Mullen was, so that helps. But that's something that's going to have to play out over the next couple of years. In the immediate future, like right now, 
what has to be his number one priority is fixing and establishing the culture within that program because it's been a bad culture. It has. I mean, Dan Mullen was Dan Mullen. That's, I mean, I don't know how many times I have to say it. He's just a clown, right? He's an absolute clown. That's what he was. And his team reflected his leadership. He liked to poke and prod and say petty things in the media and think he was cute and funny. And what did his players do? The exact same thing. And they did it with impunity. Never seemed to stop them. They just kept doing it over and over again. They had this habit of running their mouths and their mouths would write checks that they simply could not cash with their play. They did that repeatedly. This was a team when the going got tough, they quit with the most obvious example being what happened post Jacksonville last year when they absolutely quit on Dan Mullen and the bottom fell in that program and Dan Mullen lost his job. Every program has a bad apple or two, you know, I mean, no program is immune to that. But Florida just had a disproportionate share over the past couple of years. And some of those players, not all of them, but some of those players are still around. And a lot of those attitudes seemingly still permeate through sections of that locker room. Case in point being Britton Cox this past weekend doing Britton Cox things. Getting on social media and talking a bunch of irrational trash that does nothing for your program. It does absolutely nothing. There's nothing constructive about that. I mean, that guy can do whatever he wants. But let me just ask you, do you see players on the Georgia roster doing things like that? Do you? When's the last time you remember seeing something like that come from a Georgia player? Really? When's the last time? When's the last time you've seen something like that come from an Alabama player? When's the last time you've seen something like that come from a Clemson player? Teams that consistently win at a high level, those kind of programs, a big part of their success is the culture that they have established. And when you have a winning culture, you don't have players doing things like that. You just don't. And I don't think Billy Napier is about that. I really don't think he is. I think he will get that fixed. But my question for this year, because that's what this episode is focused on this season, 2022, how quickly can that happen? Because it, it took Kirby a year, you know, 2016 was was tough going. We, we, we had to to suffer through some bumps and bruises through the through the 2016 season to get where we are now. But he established that culture and we came out the other side. My question for Billy Napier this season is, how quickly can you do that? Can you do it in a couple weeks? Can you do it by mid-season? It's going to take you the entire year. I don't know the answer to that. But if Florida is going to find any way to exceed expectations this year, that culture's got to get fixed. Because if not, it's going to come back to bite them at some point. When the going gets tough, they're going to quit because that's what this team has done. That's what most of these players that are still on this roster, that's what they've done. That's what the evidence tells us. And then my next question, and this is probably honestly what I should have led with because this is the most important question for this Florida football team this season. And that is, will Anthony Richardson's production finally match the hype? Because it's going to have to, guys. If Florida's going to have a chance to exceed expectations and win eight, nine, and God God forbid, 10 games. I don't see any way in hell that happens. But if they're going to find a way to get more than six or seven wins this season, it's going to have to be on the back of Anthony Richardson because they are just devoid of proven playmakers really anywhere else on that offense. We'll get to that a little bit more in the next question. But Anthony Richardson's a guy that when you look at him physically, he's got all the tools, man. He is well put together, 6'4", about 230 explosive, dynamic athlete, great with the ball in his hands, cannon for an arm. You talk about tools? He's got the tools that would leave NFL scouts drooling. But to this point in his career, the reality is, again, it's not a reality that Florida fans want to face, but the reality is the production has come nowhere near 
matching the hype. Nowhere near matching the physical tools that this guy has to work with. There's a lot of hype for him coming in last season. This time last year, preseason camp, fall camp, he was getting a lot of hype. Maybe he's the guy. You know, he's, he's making waves. He's making moves. Maybe he can overtake Emory Jones. And then early in the season against overmatched opponents, he had a couple of wow running plates kind of stood out. And Ford fans were like, oh my God, this is the guy. Just wait till he figures it out. But he never figured it out last year. End of the season, under 60% completion percentage, which is just simply not good enough in modern college football. 529 yards passing, 8.3 yards per attempt. Solid. No, not bad. Six touchdowns, five picks. Now he did run the ball well. He had over 400 yards, a little over 400 yards rushing last year. And, and that's really what his game was. You know, he, he was a guy that did some design QB run stuff with. Dan Mullen's been good with that throughout his career. I'm surprised I honestly didn't feature him more in that role. But he struggled as a passer. He really did. If you look at the game logs, he started two games last year. You remember he started the game against us in Jacksonville. 12 of 20 in that game, 82 yards. I know that was an historic level defense. But 12 of 20, 82 yards, two interceptions. Got benched in that game. Didn't have it. Wasn't cut cut out for it in that game against LSU on the road 10 of 19 barely 50% completion percentage 167 yards three touchdowns but two interceptions in that game actually I don't think he started that game if I remember correctly but he came in relief of Emory Jones but really wasn't good in that game either this is a guy that simply got rattled in the pocket had very little pocket presence to speak of when things started to break down at all when his first read wasn't there he was just prone to pull the ball down and rely on his legs which I get it that's his best skill set at least it was last year that's what he was most comfortable doing and that's what he's going to do but he was a liability when they try to drop back and pass so their offense was was limited it was hampered you think with a guy that versatile the the entire offense would be open to him but when the guy is not polished not ready as a passer then your offense is limited. And that's what Dan Mullen was facing last year. And look, again, this guy has the physical tools. I'm not going to completely discount him and say he can't be that guy. He's got the tools to be that guy. But there's a lot of players throughout the history of college football who've had the tools, but it never clicked for them. The light bulb never went on for those guys. And he could take another step this year. You know, Billy Napier at Louisiana featured a, a run-heavy offense, a lot of QB run with Levi Lewis at quarterback. And clearly... Anthony Richardson is a better athlete than Levi Lewis. With all due respect to Mr. Lewis, Anthony Richardson is certainly a better athlete. So you'd imagine there'd be a lot of QB run game here. They'll get creative with him and they'll try to maximize his talents and, and utilize his skill sets to their best advantage. But I keep coming back to a couple of facts from last year. I know last year was last year, but this is a guy who could not beat out Emory Jones for that quarterback spot last year at Florida. He couldn't beat out Emory Jones. Mullen tried to give him that job. He gift-wrapped that job for Anthony Richardson, and he simply couldn't take it. He was sitting there on Christmas morning trying to figure out how to unwrap the, the box, the present, and just couldn't do it. Kept scratching, kept pulling, trying to get the bow off, and just simply couldn't get it off. And guys, Emory Jones wasn't good. Emory Jones has been banished to obscurity at Arizona State this year. And despite being given every opportunity in the world to take the job from Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson couldn't do it last year. And on top of that, let's not forget, what was the other narrative that all these talking heads, all the Florida fans for the past four years kept spouting about Dan Mullen? He's the quarterback whisperer. He's going to turn Anthony Richardson into a superstar. Just wait. Just you watch. Yeah, that never happened. So, if this guy that everyone in America was convinced was this great developer of quarterbacks, the quarterback whisperer, the ultimate quarterback guru in college football, if Dan Mullen couldn't get any more out of Anthony Richardson than what he was able to last year, all of a sudden expecting that to change in one offseason with an entirely new coaching staff within a new system, maybe, I guess, hey, maybe 
crazy things happen. But that's a reach, man. It's a reach. It's hard to just expect that to happen. I have a hard time just buying that right now. But I know Florida fans are. I know they are. With fan bases, hope spring eternal, and God bless them. They believe he is. Hell, half of them believe he's going to win the Heisman Trophy this year. And while I do think he will be better this year with a more stable coaching staff and with another year of growth, and I do think it's going to be an offensive system that likely features his his skill set, but Florida fans better hope that he's in the Heisman Trophy conversation because if he's not, I don't see any way this Florida football team is going to find a way to win more than seven, maybe eight games if a couple things fall their way because I just don't know where those other playmakers are. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And that brings me to my next question here What will the Florida offense look like? This is a tough question to answer. I think the the natural thing would be to say it's going to look a lot like the Louisiana offense looked last year. And I think that's probably true because I do think that the quarterback last year at Louisiana, Levi Lewis and Anthony Richardson this year, who's almost certainly going to be their starting quarterback. There are similarities in their game. I do think that, as I said, Anthony Richardson is a more dynamic athlete. I certainly imagine that they're going to feature a lot of quarterback run game. I think they're going to feature the, the run game in general with this offense. And a big part of that is not even just the fact that Billy Napier has run that the past couple years and they kind of feel comfortable with that. I don't know who they have a receiver that they're going to be able to lean on. They don't have an obvious answer as a number one wide receiver. And they really were relying on Ricky Persall coming in from Arizona State, a guy, again, who was 15th in the Pac-12 last year and receiving under 50 yards a game. That guy was going to be their number one option at wide receiver. He's out right now. So who are those guys? There's no Kadarius Tony. There's no Kyle Pitts. There's no even Tr- Trayvon Grimes out there. I know Xavier Henderson's a guy that was a pretty decent recruit coming out of high school, and the Florida fans have had some high expectations for him for a couple of years now, but he's still done nothing in his career to suggest that he's going to be that guy. He only had 277 yards receiving last year, two touchdowns, 26 catches. And even with the eye test, he didn't really flash at you, so I don't see him as that number one alpha guy out wide. Trent Whittemore? I mean, come on, man. No, Justin Shorter. I know this is a guy who's a, a former five-star recruit. 
He was at Penn State. And he came to Florida a couple years ago. He's got great long speed, like running in a straight line. Yeah, he's a fast guy, big physical guy. Has had trouble catching the ball consistently. Has had trouble getting open consistently. He's not getting separation because he doesn't run great routes. A little stiff in the hips at times. He just hasn't been that guy since he's been there. He's not a outright scrub. Like he is a contributor. He had about 500 yards receiving last year for him, but he's not a dynamic guy. He's not an alpha number one receiver. They don't have that guy they can just feature in the passing game. So absent that kind of guy, maybe Keon Zipper tight end. He's a pretty athletic tight end, but he's not like Kyle Pitts. Jacob Copeland would have been the guy again for them this year, but he transferred out. He's one of the guys that hit through after Mullen left, and he's in Maryland now. So I just don't know who those guys are. So I think by default, they're going to lean on the ground game. If you look at the situation, you have a quarterback who struggled as a passer last year. You don't have any obvious answers at the receiver position. You have some decent players at the running back position. Montreal Johnson, who you're familiar with as a coaching staff coming over with you from Louisiana. Naquan Wright, I think, is the guy that actually does have some potential at running back. For Florida, I thought, honestly, he was one of the more talented options for him in the past couple years. Just I didn't think he got enough carries. When he got carries, I thought he was productive. He's a guy that can also catch the ball in the back. So I think he's a good player. And then with Anthony Richardson, with his skill set as a runner, as a big, physical, dynamic runner, I think you have to feature the run game and feature him as a major part of the run game. But are you good enough up front to be able to do that, to build that identity and actually be able to run the football on the best teams on your schedule against LSU and Baton Rouge, against Texas A&M, against Georgia and Jacksonville? Are you going to be able to do it against teams like that? When you have a very suspect passing game and an offensive line that's not bad. I mean, I think, again, Osiris Torrance, the only guy on the roster that made an all-SEC first-team list, good player, probably going to be a high NFL draft pick. But the rest of your offensive line, you got a couple guys coming back, Richard Gouraj at left tackle. But, I mean, he's pretty good. He's fine. Ethan White, Josh Braun, who started some games for him last year. He's a big physical guy who was once committed to us, and then he ends up at Florida, but he is slow as molasses, man. Feet are stuck in concrete at times out there. I just don't know up and down that offensive line, they had those kind of guys to be able to run the football against the better defenses on the roster. Can they do it against teams like Missouri? Yeah, sure. No problem. They could probably do it against Missouri. Can they do it against teams like Vanderbilt, South Carolina? Yeah, probably. Although I think South Carolina might be pretty stout, especially on that defensive line. Can they do it against Utah? Hmm. I don't know, man. That's tough. Against Kentucky? Maybe. I don't know. Kentucky wasn't great defensively last year, but they're a physical team. I don't know if they'll be able to do it there. Tennessee? Tennessee has some issues up front. They might be able to run the ball a little bit on Tennessee, but again, are you going to be able to beat the better teams in your schedule to, to the point where you're going to be able to get to eight, nine, ten wins? I don't think the answer is yes. I don't. And I just want to throw this at you guys real quick before we transition to the last question. Remember the name Rob Sale? You guys remember that name? Offensive line coach a couple years back under Mark Rick? More than a couple years back now, right? Well, um, he is now the offensive coordinator at Florida. He was with Napier at Louisiana. He was their offensive line coach. And he is now the offensive coordinator at Florida. He's not calling the plays. But when you sit there and you look at it, you're like, man, Rob Sale. I just... Think about that name and just think about what comes to mind. You think Rob Sale and he's their offensive coordinator. Man, if I was a Florida fan, I don't know if I'd feel all that great about that. But that's just further evidence to make you believe that they're probably going to run the ball a lot in this offense. You have an offensive line coach who is your offensive coordinator. Again, not calling plays, but he's going to have some influence on, on what goes on offensively, obviously. So just another little thing there to put in your back pocket when it comes to this Florida offense. And then finally, we can't get out of here without getting to the disaster that was the Florida defense last year. So my final burning question in this Florida Gators preview is, can the Florida defense recover from the Todd Grantham experience? 
They had some heights. It was okay at times. But man, did they have some low lows under Todd Grantham. And it completely bottomed out for them last year. Let me just read off some numbers for you real quick from this Florida defense in 2021. They were 73rd nationally in scoring defense, giving up almost four touchdowns a game, 78th nationally in points per play, 51st nationally in total defense for whatever that's worth, 59th nationally in yards per play allowed. They were 84th nationally in rush defense, 100th nationally in explosive rush defense. Pretty good against the pass, much better against the pass. They're 25th nationally in passing defense, 27th nationally in yards per attempt. But just like with the rush defense, they really struggled giving explosive plays. They were 71st nationally in explosive pass rate. And that fits. Like that checks out when you're talking about Todd Griffin defense. It's a boomer bust defense, like needlessly aggressive, just bringing the house far too much, live by the blitz, die by the blitz, and they died by the blitz far more than they lived by the blitz last year. They just got burned, whether it's the run game, whether it's the pass game, teams figured out what he was doing, and they just absolutely torched them with explosive plays. Patrick Tony and Sean Spencer come in as co-DCs this year. Tony was Napier's defensive coordinator the past couple years at Louisiana. Spencer comes in from the NFL. He coached at Penn State a couple years back. He comes in most recently. I think he was a defensive line coach with the New York Giants. So he's got some NFL experience. Those guys are sharing the play, the defense coordinator duties. I would imagine, I haven't heard definitively here, but I, I would imagine it's going to be Tony that's going to be the play caller. But regardless, neither one of those guys are Todd Grant. I think you're going to see a pretty dramatic departure from this Florida defense this year based off what you've seen the past couple years under Todd Grantham. But my question isn't so much about the coordinators as Florida Evans. My question is, who are your playmakers? Who are the guys? Who are the dudes that you're going to lean on to stop the best offenses in the SEC? Because I don't see them. I just don't see them. I know, like, there's two guys. One guy in particular I think is really good. Jervon Dexter, I think, is really, really good on the defensive line. This guy's a sophomore now. He's explosive. He's a dynamic rusher from the interior. He can be a guy that can absolutely wreck a game plan. He is the one guy. Like, he's the one guy. Look at that roster, that defensive roster. I say, that that dude's a playmaker. That guy can make plays. And then you've got Britton Cox, who I would call him, like, half a playmaker because he plays about half the snaps. And that doesn't mean he's only on the field for half the snaps. That means when he's on the field, he plays about half the snaps he's on the field. That guy, I mean, the nice thing I can say about him, he's just, he's not my kind of guy. He's a loafer. He takes too many plays off. He was an attitude problem when he was here at Georgia, and he's still an attitude problem in Florida. He's their problem now. That's fine. But he he's a he's a good athlete. He's a good player. I think he's a little stiff in the hips, but he's got a good first step off the ball. He's got a, a good little spin move against offensive tackles. I mean, he's a guy that can rush the pass. He had eight sacks last year. When he wants to rush a passer, he's a good pass rusher. I don't think he's near as good as he thinks he is. I don't think he's an elite pass rusher. But when he wants to be, he is a good pass rusher. So I'll give him one and a half playmakers on that defense. They technically return eight starters, but they're only 99th nationally in returning defensive production according to Bill Connolly's numbers. And if you look at the rest of the defensive roster, I just, I don't see the playmakers. Ventrell Miller is a guy who's played a lot for the inside linebacker. He's not a, a true SEC caliber. He, like, he's fine. He's okay. He's pretty good between the tackles. He's pretty good as a downhill thumper. He does not move well. He doesn't play in space well. And the, the reality is, in the modern age college football, with the offensive innovations that we've seen the past couple of years, if you can't play in space, you're a liability inside linebacker. It's just the reality. Amari Bernie moves better at inside linebacker, but he's a guy that's been a tweener his entire career. Floor. He's played a little bit inside, he's played a little bit at star, even safety a little bit at times, but he hasn't really found a home, and he's just a little undersized at inside linebacker. I don't think he's the answer for them. Mamou Diabite, who was 
their guide inside linebacker. He transferred to Utah, so that's a hole they're going to have to try to fill there. The secondary, this is a secondary that's going to have to grow up fast. They got some young guys. Their one veteran back there is Trey Dean, who... My God, trading. That poor guy just hasn't been any good, man. They tried him at star and he was a liability, man. Teams just zeroed in on him and he couldn't stop it. He couldn't stop anything, man. So they moved him to safety where there's less coverage responsibilities, but he's still a problem there. He's fine, okay-ish against the run. If you can get this guy mashed up in pass coverage, advantage you. I don't care who it is. Advantage you. And if it's Brock Bowers, if it's Darnell Washington, if it's Ladd McConkey, if it's Kiaris Jackson, if it's Arik Gilbert, advantage us. Just trust me on that one, guys. That's a matchup we want to exploit. But he's their really one lone true veteran back there. They're going to be relying on guys like Rashad Torrance, who was pretty good for them last year. He's a sophomore now. You know, Kamari Wilson's a guy that um, we thought we had in recruiting, and I'll, I'll give Florida credit. They got him at the last second there as an NIL thing in play. But, hey, you know, he goes to Florida, and we'll see if he's going to factor in at all at safety this year. Jalen Kimber, we know that name. He was a guy that was uh, that actually was here. He transferred to Florida after last season. That was kind of interesting to me because you consider that cornerback spot was wide open, and he – would have been in the thick of the competition, but he dealt with some injuries last fall camp and kind of fell in that competition with Ringo and Speed, and he decided to transfer. I was a little taken aback by that one. He's at Florida now, so he might factor in that competition, but there are a lot of questions in that Florida secondary. They're short on answers right now, so they better hope that Britton Cox is who he says he is, and they better hope that Dexter can give him a significant and consistent pass rush from the interior, because I just don't know if they're going to be able to consistently hold up on the back end for extended periods of time. I just would not feel comfortable with that if I was a Florida fan going into this season. So when you look at how we match up with Florida on paper coming into the season, and it's tough to really get into this too deep. We haven't seen these teams actually play yet, and there's some there's some uncertainty with the coaching transition, what the offense is going to look like, what the defense is actually going to look like. But when you look at the personnel and you kind of try to speculate as to what these this offense and this defense is going to look like, I have a tough time thinking that this Florida offense is going to be able to consistently score in our defense. No, I do not think that we're going to be as dominant defensively as we were last year. I'm not trying to suggest that, but it's still a Kirby Smart defense. We still recruited a top three level year in and year out, and we stacked recruiting class upon recruiting class upon recruiting class. We still have the dudes, and by the time that we face off in Jacksonville, these young and experienced players, they're not going to be young and experienced players anymore. They might still be young, but they're going to have experience. And I, I just had this feeling that Florida is going to be a one-dimensional offense. I just don't see the passing threats for this team. I don't think Anthony Richardson is a great passer because he has not been to, the, to this point in his career. And I don't see the elite guys, even the, the like good to really good receivers. I mean, I'm not even necessarily talking about elite. Like, who are those guys that he's really going to be able to work with? I don't see them right now. So I think they're going to be a one-dimensional offense. And if there's anything that you can go back and look at with Kirby Smart defenses, if you are one-dimensional, you're not moving the football in Georgia especially if that one dimension is running the football because more than anything, that's what we've been dominant against is stopping the run. And then offensively, I've told you guys many times about the offseason, I think this has a very good chance, a legitimate chance to be the best Georgia offense in the history of Georgia offenses. I think we have a ton of weapons coming back. We have a quarterback coming back. That certainly does have some limitations. I'm not going to sit here and suggest that he does not. There's some limitations there, but I think that's played up far too much. I think Stetson's a far better player than people do give him credit for, and he's had an entire offseason for the first time in his career, taking those number one reps, being the guy. I think we will see the best version of Stetson Bennett that we've seen to this point, and that's 
that's pretty exciting because he was good for his last year. I know a lot of people don't want to give him credit, but like, hey, Stetson was good, guys. Was he elite? Maybe not, but he was he was a very good player for us. It was uh, certainly a part of why we won the national title last year. I think we'll be better along the offensive line. I do think that as good as Dexter is, I think we'll be able to keep him in check. I think we'll be able to keep Britton Cox relatively in check in that game as well. I do not see their secondary being able to match up with our weapons in the past game, whether it's the tight ends, whether it's an underrated group of receivers. I think they're really going to take some people by surprise this year. Guys like A.D. Mitchell and Ladd McConkey, Kyrus Jackson coming back healthy. Arian Smith, who's making waves in fall camp right now, which we'll talk about a little bit more next week when we get Curtis back on here and kind of recap the first week and a half or so of fall camp. I just don't see those players. I, I just don't see how they're going to be able to slow down what I believe is going to be a very dynamic Georgia offense. Todd Munkin is a mastermind when it comes to creating matchups, and I think there are matchups to be created, guys that we can exploit on that floor defense with Trey Dean being first and foremost among all those guys. But yeah, I think we match up very well with Florida. I think this is a game that we should win very comfortably. Obviously, a lot's left to play out. We've got to see how these teams actually look on the field. But coming into the season, I feel very comfortable and confident about this football game. But all right, guys, that does it for me here today on the Glory UJ podcast. You guys know I love you. I appreciate you guys being here. Thank you so much. Curtis will be back with me next week. There might be a Charlie sighting. If not, next week she'll definitely be on here in short order as we get closer and closer to the kickoff of the 2022 college football season. And my God, I cannot wait. I was just texting one of my buddies here a few minutes ago. He just texted me in the middle of the show. And uh, I'm just going to read this to you real quick. He goes, man. I wish college football started this week. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, yes, yes, so do I, so do I. It's just the point in the year where we are so close, but oh my God, we are so far away. At least it feels that way, but it's coming, guys. It's getting close. So whatever you're doing this weekend, enjoy yourselves. Have a fantastic weekend. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.